Amen. Would you guys pray with me? God, you are gracious and kind, and we gather today to be reminded of your goodness. So would you meet us as we spend time in your word? Would your spirit be in our midst? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Sarah Nielsen, and I am the adult discipleship pastor here at The Bridge. And when I was in junior high and high school, my favorite book of the Bible was Philippians. I remember telling that to people when they asked, and I think it was naively because the words joy and rejoice are in the book a fair amount. And so it seems like the happiest book of the New Testament, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure that I even underlined it in hot pink and lime green Bible highlighters. Do any of you have those Bible highlighters that are specifically for Bible pages? So I had these, you know, hot pink, lime green highlighters like a good uh, junior high student. And I made my Bible even look happy. I went back and looked at this book of the Bible and it was just covered. Almost every line was in, was in uh, hot pink and lime green going back and forth to try to make this book look as happy as it made me feel. Uh, and it was probably one of my favorite books because it was not as long or as hard as, say, Romans or 1 Corinthians, which are very complicated for a junior high student to try to figure out. So I loved reading Philippians and thinking about the joy that came from following Jesus. That's what I thought the book was primarily about. And you all, now that we have been reading Philippians for a few weeks, may wonder why I thought that. Uh, because for the last few weeks, we have been listening to Paul write this heartfelt message to a church in Philippi that he loves deeply, but he's talking to them from jail, uh, and he's talking to them a lot about suffering and quarrels in the church. So he is writing to them from jail, and so far throughout the letter, joy has been mentioned, but it doesn't seem like the main theme. Paul has primarily been urging the Philippians to get along, and despite their differences, to practice humility. And he has also been emphasizing the way of Jesus. See, this church, the church in Philippi, would have heard the gospel about Jesus from Paul a while ago. They would have heard that God had come to save them from their sin and to save them from death. They would have heard that Jesus had been raised from the dead and he invites us into freedom and fullness of life. And they had heard it, this church in Philippi, they had heard that and it had changed their lives. It brought about this deep joy in them. So they committed to be a part of a community, the church in Philippi, who lived into that hope. Who had, they had decided to live their lives toward that joyful and freedom-filled end, to believe that God had saved them and brought them into freedom. This is what I believe, too. This is probably what you believe as well. This is the story that I want to have shape my life and my ministry, that Jesus was dead and now he is alive, that Jesus brings wholeness and life and freedom, and I believe this and want to proclaim this. There is a deep part of me that still wants to focus on that joy and happiness because that is such a, an important and true part of the gospel. But the problem is that I often want that joy just when it looks like the hot pink and the lime green highlighters in my Bible, right? I want that part without the other parts of following Jesus. In other words, there are part of me, there's a part of me that wants the happy end that Jesus offers without the way that Jesus got there. Can anyone else relate to that? Um, Paul, in the book of Philippians, is pretty quick to remind us that the other parts of the gospel story are important too. 
that on the way to victory and freedom and fullness of life, Jesus chose the cross. On the way to life, Jesus chose death. On the way to freedom, Jesus chose submission. And on the way to restoration and wholeness, Jesus chose mockery and being misunderstood and experiencing brokenness. So theologians have a shorthand word for what this kind of path looks like. It's the word cruciform, okay? It's a theology word. It means literally to take the form of the cross. The choosing to conform your life to sacrifice and humility, obedience to God, and service to others. And so Paul is telling the people of Philippi that the way to the joyful end of the gospel is through cruciform living. So Paul spends a lot of time in Philippians reminding them what a cruciform life looks like in community, kind of in the abstract, right? He tells them not to grumble or complain. He tells them to consider others' needs above their own, to serve others and sacrifice their rights. And he tells them these things just kind of as general commands at first. But then, in the passage we're going to read today, Paul holds up two examples of people who are living real life in some cruciform ways. And so if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. It says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those for Jesus, of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety." So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this, the middle of this letter where Paul is talking about Jesus' humility and submission and calling the church to this kind of cruciform way of following Jesus, Paul talks about these two men. Timothy and Epaphroditus. So Timothy was a young man who had been raised in a Christian family by his mother and grandmother, who were both Jewish women who had converted to the faith. And he was so taken with the story and the message of Jesus that he left his hometown, his family, and left what was probably a pretty comfortable life to travel with Paul and to learn how to share the gospel and lead and teach and care for congregations. We know through a lot of letters in the New Testament that Timothy deeply loved Paul, and then we learn in this letter that the feeling is mutual. Paul says in Philippians, I have no one else like Timothy. 
He's like a son to me, and he has served God's church faithfully with me. Timothy is one of Paul's closest companions, and Paul is like a father to him. So Timothy, in his desire to follow Jesus, left first his family and then his mentor to go teach and serve the church. So cruciformity for Timothy looks like something real. It looked like choosing out of what he wanted, that something that was more comfortable or desirable to follow God's call to serve. And then Epaphroditus, on the other hand, had been living in the church in Philippi. He was a Gentile convert. His name actually means a favorite of Aphrodite, who was a Greek goddess. Uh, So he had heard the good news about Jesus and had given up probably most of his old life to join an entirely new community and to follow Jesus. We don't know if he had a family or a job or what his life was like in Philippi, but he was uh, known for his deep affection of the people that he worshiped alongside. Paul even talks about in this letter the sense of homesickness. He had gone to take things to Paul, but he was longing and missing the people from his community. So Epaphroditus's call to cruciformity did not end up looking like evangelism and pastoring. It looked like carrying food and supplies to someone who needed them. It looked like leaving the comfort of a community he loved to do the hard work of traveling and to serve what was, who was probably a stranger to him. So for Epaphroditus, cruciformity looked like something. It looked like taking food and meeting real and tangible needs. Both Timothy, a pastor and an evangelist, and Epaphroditus, a provider of these physical needs, were commended by Paul as people who lived out what Paul was asking the Philippians to do. In their relationships with those around them, they had the same mindset of Jesus. They did not consider equality with God as something to be clung to. They did not consider their own rights or their own comfort something to be grasped, but they made themselves nothing taking the nature of a servant, a servant to the church and a servant to strangers, a servant of God's for however God wanted to use them. And they humbled themselves and became obedient to death. They put to death what they wanted in the moment, and they allowed their preferences and their comfort to die for the sake of others. Now, it's easy for me to read Paul's letters and to keep everything that sounds like this hard life in the abstract, right? To think about concepts like sacrifice and humility and dying to self and keep it really conceptual up over here. I want the joy and the ends of the gospel, the peace and the freedom and the hope and the restoration, I want to feel that in real ways. I want that to be in my daily life. But this other dying to self stuff, I'd rather that just be something over here that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about. But the way of Jesus, this cruciform way of Jesus, looks like tangible things in our lives. It looks like sacrificing our time and our energy and our resources and our reputation for the sake of others, even for the sake of strangers. We see in the calls of Timothy and Epaphroditus, it doesn't always look like the same thing. And as I was preparing for this sermon today, I kept thinking about the number of stories of people in our community, people who have chosen out of their own preferences and their own comfort for the sake of others. And so I'm going to tell you some of these stories today, because the good news of Jesus is still inspiring people in our community to give up their comfort for the sake of others in a number of different ways. 
So there is a woman in our community who has been part of our congregation for years, and she has been working through her retirement to further the work of affordable housing in our community. She has organized, she has called volunteers, she has hammered nails, she has sat with applicants for Habitat houses to help them fill out paperwork so that they could get a home, and she has been very intentionally building relationships with people outside of her typical community. And in the last year, one of her new friends had a stroke and was in the hospital for over 100 days and then was in a rehab facility. And while he was recovering from his stroke, his wife was diagnosed with cancer and started chemo treatments. This woman who had become their friend saw the need of the situation and gave up her comfort, gave up her free time, to dive into their medical insurance conversations and bill payments and chauffeuring needs, and she gave up time with her own family for the sake of another. Cruciformity for this woman looks like continuing to give of her physical, emotional, and relational resources to demonstrate Jesus to this family. We have a gentleman in our congregation who, even though he has three young children, has chosen to give up one night a week to go over to Westview Church. Have any of you been over to Westview Church and seen that they have a big farm kind of area, garden area, and they have a food pantry? And so he has given up one night a week of his very limited free time to serve and to look in the faces of those in his community that he may not have otherwise interacted with. Cruciformity for him means sacrificing his time for the sake of strangers that he may never see again. We have a number of men and women in our congregation who are caring for spouses or parents or children whose health is deteriorating. And their day-to-day -day life may look like giving sponge baths and making meals and listening to pain noises from their loved ones in another room. Many of these people have given up their comfort and the freedom of deciding what they would like to do with their days and their time and instead are asking, what does my spouse need me to do for them? What does my parent need me to do for them today? They are surrendering their preferences to the preference of another person. And for this group of people, cruciformity means giving their time to serve someone who is in pain. We have multiple people in our congregation who get up extra early on Sunday mornings and travel across the metro to bring people to church who are essential parts of our community so that they can worship with us. They sacrifice their sleep and their time so that we can have everyone present who is part of our body. And we have people who spend time every week in prayer for our congregation, for the world, for people that they don't even know. They sacrifice both their time and their emotional energy to remember and lift up and cry out to God for those who are in need in the world around us. We also have a young couple in our congregation. They're both serving as elders in our church right now, and they have young children. And in this season, as we are prayerfully discerning how our church is called to walk theologically with LGBTQ people, they have been working like crazy to figure out pick-up and drop-off schedules and babysitters for their kids so that they can come and participate in the learning and conversation and discernment that we are doing every month. They are not only choosing into challenging conversations and reading homework and the weight of this discussion, but they are juggling logistics and busy schedules and nights away from their children. 
For this couple, cruciformity means giving mental energy and prayerful energy to hard conversations and sacrificing time every month, sometimes multiple times a month for this process. We have members in our congregation who work 60-hour weeks and then come for extra meetings in the evenings because they love and care for this church and they are giving their time to follow Jesus. We have people who have been blessed financially who give significant percentages of their income away to further mission trips and support nonprofits in our area. And we have people who have left and sacrificed their high-paying jobs to work for nonprofit organizations that are furthering the good news of the kingdom in our neighborhood. All of these things have required sacrifice and intentionality. And they are beautiful, real-life pictures of how people have allowed their lives to take the shape of the cross. They have allowed their lives to be defined and marked by humility and sacrifice because they have been so compelled by the person of Jesus and the good news of the gospel. And because they have given their time to serve and love and pour out, there is a different and deeper joy that comes from that not just the hot pink and lime green pages, right? There is a deep joy that comes from this type of service. And so as we come to approach the table today, where we are face to face with a crucified God that we follow, I think we're all invited to ponder a little deeper and longer, to reflect on this call to remember the good news in its fullness, that we are loved so deeply and saved completely, that freedom is ours, that God has conquered sin and death, but that the road that got him there was the cross. So I'd like to pose a few questions for you to reflect on while we uh, receive communion together. There are three questions. The first is in what ways do you find yourselves looking for the ends of the gospel, the joy and the hope and the love and the peace, while avoiding the means of the gospel? Humility and sacrifice and obedience. How do you look for the ends without the means? The second question is, are there situations that you are already in the midst of, places that you are serving or caring for someone or doing a menial job or task that you don't really want to be doing, that you could shift your framework around to see it instead of something that you have to do or something that is hard or challenging but not really connected to your walk with God? Is there a way that God might be inviting you to reframe this as a place of service? to him, a place of surrender, of sacrifice, and humility, that this could be something that you do as a tangible walk toward caring for your community and loving God well. And then finally, I wonder, are there ways that God is inviting you to cruciform your life in new ways? Might you be invited to sacrifice some of your time to serve or to volunteer or to jump into a group or a community in the church. We have this Creating Connections class that's starting at the beginning of November. This would be a very small commitment, a three-week journey to meeting new people. And as we meet new people in our community, we find ways that we can serve one another. 
We also have a group that's starting to study about how we do short-term missions well, how we honor people that we are serving and learn from and learn alongside and care for people as we do mission trips. Maybe that is a group that you want to think about joining because missions has been on your heart. But are there new ways that God is inviting you to give your time or your effort so that your life is formed for the sake of Jesus? Because we're reminded as we come to this table that our Savior, as an act of obedience and on behalf of others, surrendered his own will and sacrificed his own comfort. He allowed himself to be misunderstood and rejected. He allowed his body to be beaten and broken. He was crucified. So as we take his broken body together now, would you remember what love looked like in real time? As we take the body of Christ, we eat it in remembrance of Jesus. And in, in the same manner, we take the cup, remembering that Jesus emptied himself and became nothing. He poured himself out on our behalf. So as we drink this cup, the new covenant in Jesus' blood, we do this in remembrance of him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come today grateful again for all that you have done. We are reminded of the joy of our salvation and the beauty of the good news that we believe that you have offered us freedom and life and a whole, wholeness in a world that is often full of brokenness and pain. So thank you, Jesus, again for the good news of your gospel, for who you are. And thank you for those in our community who have chosen to be an example of your love and your service and your sacrifice, that the world may know who you are. We confess today the ways that we take for granted your good news, for the ways that we want the end of the gospel without the means you have shown us for getting there. Help us lay down our lives again. Help us to cruciform our lives to your will for the sake of those around us. Help us individually and as a community to follow where you are leading us, to be willing to go where you tell us to go, and to lay down what you tell us to lay down. We need your help even to do that, Lord. So would you help us and would you produce in us a joy that is deeper and more profound and more sustainable than any joy we have known. In Jesus' name. Amen.